Welcome to the Must Love Self Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I'm your host. Every week, I get to interview a beautiful, courageous, strong woman who is willing to share her ugly and beautiful with the world. Must Love Self is a podcast, a movement, and a decision. It is about women lifting other women up, women holding each other women accountable, and women finding their way along this path. I hope you enjoy. La, 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 la. I'm so ready. Let's, Let's do, do it, it, Patty. Okay, so <laughs> Patty, I would love if you would do your best to introduce yourself because you have so much to share. I actually thought we were going to be mostly talking about your experience becoming who you are today from losing your daughter physically, Amber, at four and a half. But I want you to give us a little background. Who are we speaking with today? Wow. Well, I call myself a student of life. Yes. So despite the fact that I'm 67, I still feel like a student. I'm just learning. I'm curious. I mean, I, I look on my Audible account, you know, the other day, and I have like 653 books because I'm just an avid reader. I mean, listener reader. I love people mostly. I mean, I'm very discerning at this point. I'm not skeptical because I do believe that good will prevail over evil or darkness but i am more discerning i'm more educated now but i love people the stories every single human being on earth has a beautiful story to tell or at least some story to tell so i'm always very curious about that i love the fact that i i don't mind trying different things new things I, when i i think on my amazon page for embrace the angel i <laughs> I decided to start from the beginning and just write down all the jobs and all the roles that I played. And I'm like, what? Who does this stuff, you know? But I don't mind failing. Failing meaning ending one phase and beginning a different one. Ending a phase and standing there and trying to understand the lessons, the, the power that it has. So I don't see failing as a bad thing at all. Me neither. I know. I think it's important to try. It, yeah. For me, it's important to try. Or if I can't do it alone, I certainly will ask for help, ask my cir circle of angels, you know. Um, but yeah, nothing I do ever is alone. I can't wait to get to this part. So can you tell us where you're calling us from? Oh, I'm calling you from Annapolis, Maryland in my 28 foot grand design that I call Angelina. That I I love it. How did she get the name Angelina? Oh, well, I didn't know when I went up to pick her up um, last April, I just kind of looked at it and it reminded me of the, um, the movie by, with uh, Michael Douglas romancing the stone and mm -hmm. how the very end of the movie was them driving down the road with this sailboat like into their future, Angelina was the name of the sailboat. And so I tell got, us how you got this. Like, how did you leave your house to get this? Yeah. So uh, I divorced husband number three. Congratulations. Now <laughs> I do believe in true love, and I do believe in marriage. So yes. I, 
with all my heart. I mean, I've seen people that love and adore each other that have been married for umpteen years. I mean, happily married. There's yes. a difference between tolerating 35 years and yes. loving 35 years, right? So I have seen beautiful couples and I'm like, yes, you guys are inspiring me. So I believe in true love. Um, unfortunately, I made choices that for you know lots of different reasons uh, didn't lead me to true love. But husband number three uh, in 2018, you know, I couldn't figure out why I was being treated badly because I'm a nice person generally. I mean, most of the time. Um, and I couldn't figure it out. So I read a book called Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft. It was an audiobook. And then I, the second book I read was uh, by Patricia Evans called Controlling People. So, because I was trying to figure out why does he do that? Anyway, so I read these two books and I was like, oh my God. And it was almost like a surreal thing where these puzzle pieces just flew in from different parts of my life. And I actually saw the complete picture of what the heck was going on. It was, it was completely life-changing. Once I discovered that, I still had hope because we were, we, we were in marriage counseling for probably 12 to 15 years out of 20. I mean, most- Nobody time, can say you guys did not do your work to try. I mean, I, I, I feel you. Yeah, I totally tried. I mean, I. So when the marriage ended, how did you get from a house? Have you, well, you mentioned at one point that you lived in a boat. So how did you get from a house to here? So um, I was single for 10 years. I I met number three and um, we lived for quite some time. We bought a house of sticks and bricks in 2000, you know, and again, I had these stars in my eyes and these rose colored glasses and I had hope and I was believing and all that stuff. Um, and so I ended up discovering what the heck was going on with Lundy's book. And I really began to almost become like a, a detached, like a psychologist, like I could see the manipulation, I could see the lies and then the behaviors and such. So I finally, there was an incident that was quite profound and quite abusive in January of uh, 2018. And that tipped me over the point. And I said, no, this is not going to happen. And I decided to end the marriage. And we lived together for about three months. It was quite tense. Um, he moved out. And dur during the time that I was in the house, it was like living in a coffin. It was, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty awful. Um, and then we ended up selling the sticks and bricks and this wonderful woman, uh, Catherine, who's the first, um, she's on the front lines and she's an amazing woman. So mm. she bought the house. She loved it. We, I've, I'm friends with her actually. And we call her Grace because mm -hmm. Grace is so important in life. Uh, and then I said, okay, so I, I pretty much got rid of everything. I sold, I gave, I donated, you know, I actually documented the whole experience because I used to be a professional organizer. So I used to help other people downsize and I was downsizing myself. So I ended up putting whatever mattered in a 10 by 10 storage. And I was going to rent an apartment and just get right back into writing and doing more um, research. And uh, I have some books on the burner right now. So I was going to get into writing and reaching out and helping others. Um, but then I thought, 
I was studying this lifestyle for about three years, the different YouTubers. And, you know, I saw women doing fifth wheels, you know, pulling them and hitching them and unhitching them. And I'm like, Ooh, can I do this? Well, geez, I think I can. And I went, you know, I was just looking at tiny homes. I love, I do love living in a, a small, manageable, simple, peaceful space. So it was either a boat, I was going to move back aboard a boat, find a boat and move back aboard on the water. But now I'm 67, ugh, you know, the storms and the waves and uh, hurricanes and uh, do I want to do this on my own? So this was the safest, most peaceful, most affordable home that I could think of. And then when I realized I could do my Pebbles, Power of Pebbles and Angels tour, you know, and tour the U.S., serving and elevating the bereaved and the and the critically ill and this would be a perfect way to do it i mean i have my home and covid hit and i was like okay i've got my home <laughs> my tour has been postponed um until 2022 but that's okay i'm still giving out my pebbles and i'm still serving humanity. and i have them so i'm so grateful and i had the reason why i needed to ask for you to tell that story now was i just felt so inspired seeing this badass woman who's like, peace out. I am taking myself on the road. And that just is so must love self because you never planned for this life. We're going to get into your life, but you never planned for any of this, but you took it and you said, I'm going to make amazing lemonade. And I love your, I can see your lemonade. So I want to get into this with you. I kind of know the answer, but I'd still like you to answer. Why did you say yes to this discussion with me? Oh, well, because I, I'm totally aligned with the must. There's no choice here. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You know, we have a choice to do a lot of things in life, but the must is not a choice. Love is the light. Love is our connection in in my person. I'm not religious, but I'm directly connected to God by me too. And I feel God's presence, or I call him Elmer, actually. He's the, kind of the glue between everything we see. Oh, I love that. So, yeah, I actually have a really cool, I found last Halloween. It's a skeleton with wings. And I hung, I call him Elmer, and I hung him in the on the shotgun part of my of uh, Larry, my Ford F-250 Lariat that pulls Angelina. So I have Elmer there, and Elmer's like my traveling companion. <laughs> It's very cool. Anyway, so um, yeah, I've come to see that um, you know each of us is is here for a reason, and we don't always know what the answers are. But uh, so loving to me is why I'm here. I'm here to serve first, first and foremost to serve. Almost I'm, like a, I'm honored to be in your presence. I really am. I. You know, you mentioned earlier that I already know your age. You said you're 67, but you feel like you're a six-year-old because you're so excited. And that is so attractive and infectious. I want to just do a real quick scoring for you. If you would score yourself, not in a negative, positive way, but just in a one's the most challenging or unkind. And 10 is like, I love this area of who I am. What would you rate yourself today in terms of what you see your body? How, how are you in that area? Well, actually, I mean, I, I love my body. I 
Wait, don't make that face. Don't be embarrassed about it. That's awesome. Okay, well, like, I'm going to expose something here. Please, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Especially with COVID. I mean, I've been, I've been single for a long time now. And even before when I was married, I didn't get the physical affection that I love. I love physical affection. I mean, I just, I think as humans, you know, we're in the womb. I remember being in the womb. I remember being physically like just stroked and loved by the water by the pulsations and all so we all need that so now like I just sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I just like you know just I'll just rub my head and I, I will touch myself yeah because I need to be touched and what am I going to do I have a choice spend your life yearning someone else to do it or do it yourself I love it and that's what I've done. And I've, I've just come to understand that, yeah, talk about must love self. Mm -hmm. Honey, I love myself. <laughs> I'm so impressed with you. What, what would you rate? And I know that we're going to get into it today. What would you rate your worth? What you know you are worth? Well, I don't see myself as, I always see myself as part of a group. It's okay. Like, I need to rephrase it. Okay. When you were talking earlier about the dysfunctional abusive relationship, you were at a place where you couldn't see your worth and that's why you stayed. I mean, what do you see your worth as a human today? Do you see that you are deserving? Do you see that you are a perfect child of the universe? Do you see that you belong or do you feel like you need something more? I think for me at this point in my life, um, I, I, I see an EMDR therapist, a eye movement desensitizing reprogramming. I think that's what it stands for um, <laughs> twice a week now, because I'm really getting into the meat of what the heck went on and really getting down and dirty with my stuff. So for me personally, it's a roller coaster of like, like the two minute, I don't know. Did you see the trailer for embrace the angel on YouTube? The no, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Well, it was so cool because like that's part of the thing where I like saw video and I, I worked with a filmmaker, Sophia uh, Handel. She's amazing. And so we collaborated two minutes. And so I part of the video, she put in this part of me standing on top of my rig. And this is 12 and a half feet high. She, and I was and I just spread my arms and I'm like, a master of my own universe. Yes. So here's this thing where there's me standing there doing this, right? And then there's Patty going, someone says, oh my God, you pulled this rig by yourself. You're so brave. And I'm like, oh gosh, I'll call you the next time at the bottom, I'm at the bottom of my shower crying, right? Right. So it's a constant, I think, a human condition to, to ride those waves or those swells of yes or oh my god right i love that you said that but i think what i'm hearing though is that your foundation today you're you're still the person who loves themselves and knows that you are worthy when you were talking earlier about being in the relationship that was really unpleasant and, and unkind that right. i don't think that was your foundation of Oh, no, absolutely right. not. So I think that what you're saying is that you're worth today, even though you're human, like we all are, and we go up and we go down and we have our moments, like I had them yesterday, like just totally losing my crap, is we're just human, right? But at my foundation, my baseline today is 
grateful and I'm awesome and I'm solid and I have my moments, right? But before I was never that. So it sounds like your worth is pretty great. Well, are you saying on a scale from one to 10? One yeah. being like- One being I'm, I'm the, I hate myself. I don't think I'm worthy of anything. I would think a static score for me right now, because I'm still like, you know, rediscovering my self-worth and, you know, learning my own value. Um, I would say I'm probably a seven. If I was left to my own devices, I'd be a five, but I think I'm a seven because my circle of angels and my reason for being on earth are so um, profound and exciting and powerful that I, I, I'm energized by that. And I really feel like, you know, as a human being, I'm frail, I'm, you know, needy and I'm happy and sad and all the other stuff. But as an angel on earth that I believe we all are until we choose not to be, as an angel in a physical body, my worth is 10 plus. Mm taking that 10 plus and adding it to the five, I'd say about a seven and a half. I love it. Last one for, for your score. How would you rate your ability to use your voice today to advocate for yourself? Ooh, real good. I just had a conversation today that was quite interesting with some friends uh, that, yeah, I'm reclaiming my sense of agency and and I do it knowing when my head hits the pillow at night, that's my integrity test, that I can hit that pillow and feel like I didn't intentionally, that's a key word here, I didn't intentionally hurt anybody or, you know, be cruel to anyone or, you know, I did my absolute best that I could. So I think I'm a 10 on that. That is yeah. amazing. And what, just a little peek behind the window, what would you have given your your ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself during that relationship. Oh, please. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that was, uh, that was tough. Um, I, as the 20 years rolled on, I sunk deeper and deeper under that gray rock. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was darker and darker and darker. So during that time, I mean, I ended that relationship probably on a, golly, is there a minus? Yes, there is. <laughs> yes, there is. I've I had many, say, many minuses. Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll probably say a minus one because I kind of sort of had my little foot in the plane. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't until I, I realized what mattered to me and to my life that I came, I stepped into the plus and out of the minus one. I want to identify something here because this was a huge breakthrough for me when I was going through my divorce was I did a lot of spiritual work to find out like what happened because I had done so much work uh, internally and within the relationship. I didn't understand like what happened and what I found through tons of digging was I stopped using my voice, which was shocking to me because I'm loud. So I thought like, I'm always using my voice. I'm loud. I've, I've always been told my entire life, inside voice, like keep it down, right? My whole life. I, my brother jokes that I was born without volume control. So the <laughs> idea that I could be a woman who stopped using her voice was very confusing to me. I'm like you, I'm a student of life and I wanted to understand it. And what happened was, 
I did use my voice. I used it again and again and again and again. And what happened was the person that I was trying to connect with could not hear me. And this is just a fact. It's not a judgment. He's a great human. We're not right for each other as, as spouses. I'm grateful that he's my children's father. And the truth is he still can't hear me. And so that's just a fact I need to remember. What happened with me was I stopped using my voice because when I tried, it felt so yucky to not be heard or seen that my choice was stay in that beautiful coffin or break out. And I couldn't figure out how to do that. And so I just kept quiet. So I love that you brought this up because the word must, when you said there's no choice, you know, must love self originally started with body stuff because women are comfortable talking about when they don't like their body, but it's really about this. It's really about, do you know that you're worthy and are you willing to stand up for yourself regardless of how you look? Well, as we both know that uh, well, we're born that way as I was born that way. I mean, I remember defiantly, I was like, probably it was kitchen sink height. I was about probably five inches lower than the kitchen sink. So I don't know, maybe four or five. <laughs> and I remember very clearly my mother turning to me and just looking down at me and saying, what do you think you're going to do? Change the world. And I looked up at her and I believed with all my heart and every bit of me, I said, yes, I am. And I truly believed that I would change the world. Um, I, I still believe that. I do believe that I have, that I'm the God or Elmer or the divine has planted a seed of power in me that I can't deny. I, I can't ignore. I can't kill i can't i just can't i tried i tried and i'm so grateful i didn't get what i wanted and i i can't even tell you this with any understanding until you read or listen to my story because i'm actually the narrator of it and you have an audible account but there's a woman who basically is the the gold thread of the whole story and her name is ro eugene she died sober and she had a car license plate that said love you all and she hired me when i first got sober to do like odds and ends in her house. She had angels like you sent me all over her house. She lived by herself. She had five kids. She was all by herself, beautiful and wise and hysterical. And she hired me and I knew nothing, how to do anything. And we were standing outside. I was cutting her lawn. Her lawn was like knee high and I'd never cut lawn before. And she's laughing at me and I'm laughing at her and we can't figure out how we're doing anything. And she and you are intertwined. Like I really am in a very good way freaking out because I feel like I'm getting this little special time with her again. And you, when you hear the story, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, like we are connected. And I can't wait to get into your story. But I love that you said that about that power within us. And that's something I wish every woman that's listening could understand is that regardless of any of the outside crap that blocks us, that underneath it is that little girl that's looking up at the sink that really wants to change the world and we can't, right? So I want to get to that little girl. I want you to tell us briefly about when you were growing up as a little girl, what you learned about what women were supposed to behave like or look like or act like or not act like or not behave like. Wow, we. <laughs> well. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, I grew up watching um, Beverly Hillbillies and Father Knows Best and Donna Reed and Petticoat Junction. And um, yeah, so that was my fantasy of what women were supposed to be and do. My childhood was, well, as one therapist told me in my 30s, um, she said to me, she was a psychologist, and she said to me, Patty, you always are making excuses for your family. Let's get this straight. On a scale from one to 10, one being the ideal family and 10 being war, you grew up in a nine. Wow. And I was like, I'd never, I mean, that was a shot. I mean, that was a huge life changer for me. I didn't realize, I mean, it was hell, very horrid. I had a pretty, I mean, wow. Yeah. Pretty awful, very abusive. I mean, both my parents were alcoholics every Friday and Saturday night. I could guarantee that there would be a blowout, a blow up. They'd beat each other up, come at each other with knives, throw beer bottles across the room. I mean, screaming, yelling, this is what I grew up in. And my mother was physically and emotionally in every single way. Oh, is this a kitty? It's a COVID kitty. Oh. I have two of them. Oh, I love <laughs> it. That's Ray. Oh, I love that. So he much. likes to come sit next to me when I'm talking about beautiful ladies. <laughs> um, so yeah. you're talking about your mother. You said in every way you're quite abused. And I remember my, my memories of my childhood were even then, even then I was connected to God directly. Um, I went to Maryvale orphanage, which the day school there, I mean, I wanted to be an orphan because they like had it made compared to what I was living through. <laughs> but Wow. But yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience to, um, to know at a very, very, very young age, I am a channel or connected. I know that God has chosen me as he has all of us, but I'm aware of it. And um, I love uh, it so much that you call God Elmer. I've never, I've been sober for 22 years and surrounded by people talking about God in, in very different ways than religion talks about God. And I've never heard that. And I love it so much. I can't even stand it. I, I wonder if when you heard that therapist acknowledge that nine number, if it felt somewhat of a relief because you finally were acknowledged that you're not crazy. Like that really did happen. Sure. And it, it's a validation because yeah. as I was growing up, what I learned from my parents was who not to be, yeah. how not to love, how, what not to do to your children. So for me, and I, again, I, I mean, I have memories, like I said, of being in the womb. I have memories of being born and being a baby. I have memories that I can access easily. And yeah, I learned and I knew, I, I honestly, Carly, even when I think of this stuff, I, I'm like, my, my head shakes because I simply can't believe it. I chose to come into this world 
in the city of angels at hmm. the queen of angels hospital wow. when i when i realized that i was like i went back um in 2018 and went back to queen of angels hospital and i did video i i recorded all this and uh, documented it all but i was like this is the portal through which i came onto this earth it's and so cool it's, it's amazing um so but while you're watching your mother be constantly abused and you want not to be like that yeah. are you aware that she has less choices than a man are you aware at all about gender at that point or are you just like i don't want to end up like her no i mean i did end up like her yeah <laughs> right no i mean I, I i said no way i would never ever ever and you know after the first abusive relationship it was like oh my god and then the second, I mean, Gary was amazing. Um, he was with Amber when she died. So, you know, Gary's a good man. I don't know who he is now. Um, I, I know that I divorced him for a reason and, you know, um, we're just very different people. So he's the father of my son, Toby. Um, and Can you tell he, us about your children? Yeah, so, well, Amber, um, Take us back to that time. Yeah, take us back to that time. Yeah, she was uh when I left Michael, I took a <laughs> I took a train down to Manhattan and got into Grand Central and then took a bus or it wasn't Grand Central, it was another hub there. Anyway, I took a Greyhound bus with Amber when she was a year and a half out to California, back to California because that's where I grew up. And then I had to live with my parents, which Wait, take me back. Home. I need to go backwards. I need more backwards. Rewind a little bit more. Michael. Tell me, yeah, I want to know how you ended up with Amber's father. Is it Amber's biological yeah. father? Yeah. How you ended up with him and then how you got to a place where you knew you needed to leave. And I want to know that story too. So Jan and I, a high school friend, uh, we were living together. We decided after we graduated from high school to take a cross-country trip out to see her sister, Nancy, who was in Vermont, ready to have a baby. We borrowed a car, her sister's car, and we drove out three days, three nights, sleeping, one alternating. We got to Vermont. We watched Sarah be born her mm. first, and it was really cool. Jan fell in love with George, who she's still married to, and I fell in lust. <laughs> I fell in lust with Michael, who was like an Adonis. Uh -huh. uh, and Michael and George moved to California and we lived together, the four of us and, and Michael and I moved separately. And I really, really, really wanted Amber. He didn't necessarily, I got pregnant. Um, and from the beginning, he was pretty aloof in that sense. Um, anyway, so we were married, I don't know how long, not a long time. I left him when Amber was a year and a half. I married him in 73, so probably four years, five years. Why did you leave? Well, we moved back to Connecticut where he was from, me, Amber, and he. And we moved to North Connecticut, Canton. And it was very isolating. I used to go on hikes with Amber in the mountains and we had a dog, Tara. And uh, Michael was very abusive physically as well as every other way. and he would provoke and try to fight and i don't mind conflict at all i'm a trained mediator in conflict resolution i don't mind it it's the fighting and the 
anger and the viciousness and the evil. Um, that's, I just can't tolerate that. I won't tolerate that. It's a choice. That's the must. Um, yeah, but he was hitting me physically. And I rem remember this clearly. The pivot point was um, he was kicking me down the hallway. And I looked down at Amber. She was just a year and a half. I looked down at her and she was, she was in terror. I saw myself in Amber. From your childhood. I said, no, I can't do that to her. So that's when I made the decision to leave. The next morning I took my wedding ring off, put it on the dresser and told him I wanted a divorce. Wow. And then, uh, so we, I packed everything I had into a, a two foot by two foot by four foot box <laughs> and shipped it to California. And uh, me and Amber took the bus, the Greyhound bus, just three nights, her on my lap sometimes. Um, we got to my parents and it was back to the hell that I grew up in. And I simply couldn't put her through that. So, you know, a long series. I lived with my sister-in-law and my brother. And then I ended up coming back to Connecticut. Um, <laughs> I belonged to the, the Altadena Baptist Church and they collected box tops from aerial boxes for me so that Amber and I could take the train back to Connecticut, which we did. And um, yeah, it, it was tough. I, I, I had a $10 bicycle that I had gotten. So when I moved back to Connecticut, I brought the bicycle with me and just what I could. And I remember, you know, putting Amber on the back of the bicycle. I had a seat and I would just completely enclose blankets and jackets and things and then drive her in the snow in the winter in Connecticut to, to drop her off at, you know, her, her daycare so that I could go to work in a, a key in a lock factory in Connecticut and Milford. Um, so yeah, I was a single mom for quite some time. And uh, it was August of 79 when I was homeless with Amber um, like three times. And I, I didn't have a place to live. I had to raise her and I wanted a job. I couldn't find a job. So I wrote to the Milford Citizen, the local newspaper and explained my situation and said, you know, I want to be here and I want to work and I want to support my daughter, but I'm hitting dead ends. So this woman, uh, Sue Kelly, she called herself Bambi. She said, hey, I have a room you can rent for $25 a week. We would love to have you and Amber here. And so she took me and Amber in and I found a job on a Denny's construction site. I was, I would visit construction sites and I would ask for jobs. And of course it was all men at the time and they would just kind of laugh at me and, you know, make fun of me, but I needed a job and I needed a job to pay well to support us. So um, I ended up going to a Denny's construction site on I-95 in New Haven, Connecticut. And I remember walking up and the guy was like, if you show up here tomorrow at seven o'clock with a hammer and a tool belt, you got a job. Mm. I did. And I worked roofing um, and construction. And then someone heard about me and it was way back when um, women were not working construction and they had to meet these 10% like thresholds. <laughs> so this guy showed up and he said, Hey, I'll pay you eight 15 an hour. If you want to be in the laborers union, there's a job in new Haven. Um, it was teletrack. It was a betting thing. It's a commercial um, construction site. And there was 350 men and me. <laughs> 
I showed up and of course they did not want me in their world. They did everything to break me, but I was like, I need to support myself and my daughter. Um, after I just love days- that you said, I want to say something for a second. I love that you talked about Bambi and reaching out because I think that that's a really important thing that we always need to remember is we just have to be honest and reach out and ask for help. And we will always get what we need. It's not always going to be what we want. It's not always going to look the way we think it should look, but it's always going to be what we need. And I love that kindness and that vulnerability that both of you showed each other. Will you take us to the place where you find out what's going on with your daughter? Sure. Um, so when Amber and I moved in with me, um, we rented the room for 25 bucks a week. Um, she had three sons that had died and I had Amber and I didn't have any other family, no one. She was my world. And I remember Bambi was like, you know, she was, she, she would laugh easily. She loved Amber, um, but she had three sons die. So I was on this side of the threshold. I, I can't even fathom. Me neither. Did you know, did you ask her what happened or did you not discuss it? No, 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 we did. We talked openly about it. Um, one died of electro- electrocution. I'm not sure how the other three died, two died. So three sons that died. Um, but I remember looking at Amber thinking, oh my God, I there's no way. I, I would not even live if she died. That's, I, don't know I mean, that's what every mother feels. Every parent totally. feels. Absolutely. So um, when I discovered the tumor, so I was you know, stroking, I worked construction and I was making a living and I was stroking Amber's hair, you know, head and putting her to sleep. It's August of 79. And I discovered this lump. It was like about the size of a walnut behind her ear. And I was like, I mean, the first thing I heard in my head was, it's not you who's going to die. It's Amber. Mm. Because I believed that I was going to die before she was six. So I recorded our whole entire life together. I have every single thing documented. You're so lucky. I wanted her to know me after we, after I yeah. died. So at that moment. So that was a, a feeling, a knowing that you had had this whole time. And then yeah. that, that thought, that voice was, it's not you. No, but it actually not. was you because a part, I mean, a part of you and who you were did, and you became who you are today. Oh, yeah, certainly. How long after you discovered that did she end up passing? We took about, uh, I'll say, August of 79. So we, you know, we had, I'd gone to, uh, I, I went for like eight months all over the state of Connecticut to eight different doctors, including the head of pediatric surgery in Hartford Hospital. So none of them would believe me. None of them would biopsy. And so that was tough. They didn't believe you. No, they didn't. Can I tell you as a mother of a son with undiagnosed medical crap that the feeling of not being believed when you know something is wrong with your kid is one of the worst feelings ever. And I used to have people, I had medical doctors that did not believe his fevers got as high as they did. And they would make me take them rectally because they didn't believe me. They thought I had like a crazy thermometer. And so many times that there was so much disbelief that it took me like a year of going through that where I was like, no, this is real. Like this is really happening, but it's so hard as a mother 
when someone doesn't believe you and you know your child needs help. Yeah. So you finally got somebody to listen? Well, they, yeah, and they ended up excising the one that was there, did a bunch of tests and whatever. And when I said to them, when we did the protocol meeting, they, and I said, they said, we did the surgery. We want to do radiation and also chemotherapy. I didn't want to do chemotherapy at the time because there was a little boy named Chad Green who was in the newspapers. He actually got removed. They took him, he's three years old. They took him away from his parents because they wouldn't give him chemotherapy. So he was in the media. It still happens, by the way. This is nothing new. Um, and they made him a ward of the court. They came with six police cars to take this little three-year-old boy away from his parents because they wouldn't give him chemotherapy. So chemotherapy at the time was very experimental. They were just using people as guinea pigs. Um, but I mean, I know it's come a long way and I know that it's helped a lot of people. So I don't, I'm not pretty, I'm not educated about the numbers now. So I, I don't really have an opinion about it, but I knew at the time I didn't want them to take Amber away from me because I knew I was a good mom. I wanted to save her life and I was trying to tell them. So I, they said chemotherapy, surgery and radiation. And I said, well, they can send a man to the moon, but this is all there is. And they said, yes, this is all there is. And I just couldn't believe it. So what, the day that Amber was released from Yale New Haven, I took her to the New Haven Register with me, which was the biggest newspaper in the area at the time. And I begged the editor to please publish um, a plea, a public plea. Is there anything else out there, anything? And um, at the time there wasn't personal computers. So it was basically, you know, wire and um, telegrams and such phone calls. And so they put the plea out there, the Associated Press picked up on it and it went around the world and people from all over the world were willing to help. And we ended up having to sneak out of the country because we were in the news. We had to sneak out to go to get Amber immunotherapy in the Bahamas. So she was there, the immunotherapy worked there was a small metastasis that was growing that flattened out, but then she got tonsillitis. Her body could not keep up with it. We needed to have the tumor debulked is what they call it. But because we had gone into the media, we couldn't find a doctor to help us. Um, but then Bernie Siegel, I'm still friends with Bernie today. He, you know, he's written many, many books. He's just such a, an incredible man. So he was her surgeon and he offered to take Amber as his own and assemble a team of surgeons to see if they could save her life. And this was in September of 1980. And after a week, we realized that we couldn't save her life. And in the chapel of St. Raphael's, um, I just went to listen to God and God said, let her come to me now. And at that last month, Bernie helped us help her cross over. And I recorded every single moment of Amber's last month of her life. She said incredible things, amazing things. And I was like, you know, I was a 27 year old single mom. I was like, oh my God, who are you? I was so astounded at the things she was saying. Just, just too very quickly, she said, um, we wanted to, to, to die at home. So Bernie helped us help her and gave me uh, um, morphine to inject and 
all that. And um, I was passing through the living room and she called me to her side and I couldn't hear her. And I bent down, she was in front of the fireplace. I bent down, I said, what did you say, Amber? And she said, mom, I know. And she was like mad because she had to repeat herself. She's like, I know I'm here to help a lot of people. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, how could you? So I, I'm excited to work on the book where I can do the speech to text and see all of the amazing things, the revelations that she put forth. But the, so she died on my 27th birthday. Oh was my October God. 30th, 1980. And, you know, we sang happy birthday. And before she died, she said, mom, this was so cool, Carly, because, you know, I, as I said, I've always felt directly connected to God, but I always did expect to see a miracle or some sort of showing, you know? And so she said, mom, when I die, I'll still be Amber. I'll just be different. <sighs> and her telling me what happens to what our bodies and our souls and our spirits after we die was the best gift I've ever gotten. Mm. I know now she didn't leave me. I, I didn't lose a daughter and she didn't pass away. She simply changed and she's still with me. So that blessing, that miracle, and the fact that I physically, and I actually have a recording of this, um, that I physically felt her and God merge at the moment of her death. My whole body was like tingling, like, and all I could say, and as I said, I transcribed it for the book. It was like, oh my God, thank you, thank you. I could just, I just was so grateful that, you know, that he brought her to me for four and a half years. And the fact that I could feel her after her body died was the opposite of what I wrote in the journal. You know, it was completely opposite. I thought that I would die myself, but instead it gave me life. It, it, Amber's death was the miracle that I felt I didn't deserve, mm. but I knew I had to acknowledge in order to fulfill my life purpose. I love that and so I much. I did fight it. I fought it. It was like, God, why me? I mean, I fart for God's sake. <laughs> why did you pick me? I mean, I'm as human as they is is any. I'm so human. I don't deserve this. I but. love what you just said about how we fight the gifts. We fight them. Yeah. I I'm so excited to be in your presence. We are running out of time. So I want to have you read to me your quotation, unless you need me to read it to you. Do you have it still? Which one? You said we are each of us angels with only, with one, only wing. one wing. And we can only fly by embracing each other. That's Luciano Di Crescenzo. I love it so much. I have to invite you into lightning round because I'm positive we could talk for like days. Let's do. I would <laughs> love. Let's just make this the beginning of our friendship. Okay. Yeah, man, because look, my dining uh, room area folds into a really luxurious bed. And when I, I'm on the road, come on down. I, I'm Don't invite me unless you want me. So here we go. We're going to lightning round. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could go back to yourself. And first, I need to ask you, what do you think has been your lowest point in your life? Ooh, lowest point. In, oh, my gosh. 
the lowest point in my life was, yeah, standing at the stairs, the top, the landing of the stairs when I was in severe abuse and twirling around, not knowing I had to, we had to go up to my nephew's uh, wedding in New York. And I just stood there and I was like, and it was after a huge fight, uh, days of fighting. And I just was twirling around. I didn't know which way to go. Do I go that way? And what do I pack? And I mean, I didn't, I was twirling around in this vortex of who the hell am I? And where do I go? And what do I, I didn't know who I was. That was the the lowest moment of my life. So if you could go back to her on those stairs and you had about four minutes to talk to her, what would you tell her? Honey, I love you. You haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> you are at the center of this vortex. You mm. are still. You are not spinning. The world is spinning around you, but you are centered. You are deep. You are profound. You are powerful because you are at the hub of this wheel. What would your 80 year old self say to you today? My eight year old self? 80, 80. 80? 80? 80? What would I say to myself? Gosh, I would say, dang, <laughs> you girl, sweetheart. You really were, you know, a lot landed in your lap, but you learned how to juggle and you took delight in the, in the, the act of juggling and you didn't lose your spirit. You didn't go to the dark side. You weren't polluted. You held on to your dignity and your integrity. And I'm proud of you. I love that. What does it mean to be beautiful? Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, beautiful is, uh, well, I think it's, if I can akin myself to nature, to God's creations, I'm a flower. I'm the most beautiful flower. I'm a squirrel. I'm a bird. I'm a cloud. I'm the atmosphere, I'm the sea, I'm the mountains, the glory, the majesty, the awe of a mountain. I am everything that God has created in a human body. I love that. What does it mean to be a strong woman? Well, <laughs> I think, well, I discovered, you know, folks have said, as I mentioned earlier, oh my God, you pulled that 20, you pulled that all by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, oh, they would say, you're so brave. And I think it was on my, on the YouTube channel where I did the, the nickel tour where I talked about that. Cause I, it was like, you're telling me I'm something that I don't understand. So I did the research. I looked up brave and courage and all that stuff. And what I discovered, which was powerful for me personally. So Brave is a sacred space that exists between, oh my God, and holy crap. <laughs> There's a sacred space. It's like a teeter-totter. There's that pivot point between the two. So the bravery, I try my darndest to live in that special sacred space. But I certainly have my, oh my God, and holy crap moments. So 
I love that so much. And you've talked about pivot point and I keep writing it down and I love it because I picture you as this strong woman that has your child and is pivoting and is going to the Denny's and has got your hammer and you're like, I don't care. Get out of my way. I've got to do something. Three questions left. What do you want others to say about you? That I was kind and that I was willing to serve those human beings on earth that needed a bit of comfort, a bit of joy, maybe a little bit of inspiration, mm. encouragement. Um, and that I was willing, and that I was willing to, wash their feet i love that so much yeah i i i feel honored to wash the feet of humanity i love that so much okay last two if you find out you have six months left to live what would you want to do with the rest of your time well honey i've got so many projects up my pipeline (laughs) Yeah, I do want to focus on the positive aspects, the uh, embrace the angel, the power of pebbles and angels. Um, Hopefully telling my story of coming from a dark place and realizing that I'm powerful, um, that all of us are. And um, each of us, I believe, is a pebble thrower. Mm in the still pond of life and my little pebbles, those little guardian angels. Um, I have the power to toss those around and throw them into this still pond of life, but that's not my job or my intent to know what happens, but yeah, I mean, all of us are powerful and we can all elevate others. So I think just elevating others is the most important thing. And myself, I mean, truly, I, I meditate every day, morning and night. I love it so much. I listen to, you know, Salfregio. Um, you know, I, I do take care of myself and I have incredible people in my life. Incredible people. I call Annapolis my headquarters for my circle of angels because there are, there's so many people here that um, really love and care for me and vice versa. So, gosh, you know, when I stand at the threshold, I'm going to, I'm going to feel like my life had meaning and that matters to me. I can assure you from only knowing you for an hour that that will a hundred percent happen. My last question to you is you have one piece of advice for every woman that's listening. What do you want to tell them? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Ladies. If you choose to grow another human being inside your body or not, the fact is you have the potential. If you can grow a human being inside of your body, you can do anything, anything. You can endure anything. I mean, we have the power as women to grow other human beings. One of my one of my little seeds that I'm working on with my YouTube channel is these little pebble seeds, these power of pebble seeds. One of them is I would love for men to be able to grow people inside them. 
I mean, look, you have the plumbing. All you need is a Y valve. All we need is a womb and a Y valve. And if men could grow people, imagine how our world would be different. It would be I mean, a lot smaller. <laughs> that's what they say. But yeah, I think growing another human being inside of your body, your own body. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. But yeah, and if you choose not to, but you have that capacity to love another human being. Yeah. Will you tell us how we can find you? Um, yeah, so probably embrace the angel.com is the, you know, the hub for this, my work. Um, I have Tobias and company, uh, which is, I take photographs around the world of angels and door knockers and creatures and all kinds of things um, and put them onto silk and scarves and ties and greeting cards and prints and stuff. And, and that supports my donations of the, I have silk scarves and ties and pillows that we donate to, you know, those who are grieving and um, those who are dying and um, and those so yeah, whose feet those whose feet need to be washed yeah I know I was thinking hmm my tour could include a feet washing sort of like a car wash I love it Carly I love you, thank you so much oh, thank you God. I'm so honored to have been in your presence I cannot even tell you I feel the same and you know there's so much about you that I don't know that I'm excited I, to thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed the podcast if you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day, and I love you. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 la,